This week's episode is brought to you by a week that went a whole lot better than expected. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into the Burgundy Radio Podcast for October 16th, 2017. Uh, coming up on the show, equally crushing wins and losses, and we're here to try to make sense of it all. Spoiler alert, probably can't do it. But we'll give it a go, and before we play the whoosh, let's say hi to the disembodied voices joining me this week. As always, Earl is here. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. And joining us again is C-Mill. Welcome back. Hey, Thanks. There's a lot to run down this week, so let's actually slow it down and run through one team at a time. On Monday, Avs win 4 nothing over the Boston Bruins at, like, noon or some shit. Now Yakupov scored twice, and Simeon Varlamov saves all 29 shots he faces. I don't remember this game well, even though I did go back and watch it later. But the Avs laid the whole way, and as a result, they got outshot the whole way. Um, then on Wednesday, Boston paid Colorado a, a return visit as the Avs dominate their home opener 6-3 with two empty netters. They gave up nine shots on goal total through the first two periods and in general looked awesome. Sven Andergato scored twice. Tyson Jones put home his first into an empty net despite taking a scary spill earlier in the game. He hasn't played since, but he should be back soon. What's your takeaways from the Boston series? Because mine is that Boston are crap. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was heading with that. Um, I I think it's it. It might not be that they're crap. It might be that they're slow and that the Avs are quite quick this year. And that's kind of um, that that's kind of where Boston was really vulnerable was to to some major speed. And I, I was really surprised they took both of those games. I mean, you figure in a you know, sort of not back to back, but playing the same team twice in a row, you're you're gonna lose one of them. And you know, they did, they looked really good both games. Yeah, I mean, with with Boston, it just seems like the Colorado Avalanche's game just works well against their style of play. Avs are fast and can move around all those big body checks that Boston likes to throw. And I mean, Boston was out a couple of big key guys that first game uh they had a couple of them come back in the second game but even then they still had a couple guys out of the lineup and and that probably affected a lot of their a lot of their play as well Remind yeah, us I mean, who it was, was, it was out of the lineup so uh bergeron was out the first game and uh, let's see i think bacchus was out both games and yeah uh, no, not really, but you know, he's still a pretty solid player and could have done some some good work for him. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty telling that their their first line center was a different guy in both games, and, and neither of them were were Bergeron. So, right, right. Um, they were, you know, I mean, Pasternak and <clears throat> uh, Pasternak looked really good. Um. But it just you know if you if you don't have that center feeding someone like that, it's kind of you know he's on an island. Yeah, Pasternak and, definitely had some some good points in that game. I mean, he played a total of twenty minutes that first, pretty close to twenty minutes the second game as well. So I mean, he's he's the guy that they've been thrown out against all all of our players the whole time. I mean, top and and bottom of the lineup, and he looked scary. And that, that it was good that we had a lot of guys shutting him down like Zadorov. Um, 
But again, like you're saying, I mean, if if he's the only one on that line driving it, then he's not going to well, get Marchand, done alone. Marshan looked good too. I mean, it just you know that was a that was a real donut line. Um, <laughs> you know, Marshan had that amazing shot for a goal, and that was the that was the second game, the the one at the Pepsi Center. Not but that yeah, Avalanche I mean, fans would know anything about a donut line, right? It's a donut <laughs> line. Um, Jeez. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, you you could tell that they were struggling to do things with that line because they just, you know, Krejci was there in the first game and he was not not that great. And who was I, I forget who was there in the who was the top center in the second game? But I mean, you know, it it just wasn't enough. So but the, just to uh, talk about the abs for a little bit. They, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they they looked really good, and and whatever Boston ends up being this year, I mean, that's still, you know, a step you have to take up the ladder. Right. So, kudos to the guys for showing up well both times. I thought it was pretty blatant that Boston, at least in their current status, are not a, a good team remotely, um, but it's an important step along the way to be able to beat bad teams. Yeah. And beat I mean, them soundly, which is what happened in the second game in the game at home when, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to this a little bit later, but the, the home road split here between these two games was like completely just humongous. I mean, you, you saw the avalanche really, you know, have kind of have a hard time with, with the shot count, even though they were winning um, in Boston, but then they come home and just are dominant. Yeah. And that would continue. I mean, I mean so. What do you think that was? The, I don't know. It'll was be that matchups? It may be. It, I'm really, I really want to see these words come out. <laughs> I, I really want to see where this goes, like, as the season continues. Will Colorado continue to have this kind of success at home? Because in the last couple of years, they have not. No, they haven't. Yeah, I mean, that's always kind of been a thing the past couple of years is the Avs play pretty well on the road but can never do it at home, and that gets pretty frustrating. I mean, it seems that you, they should be able to do a lot more at home with a lot more you know, incentive to win. Yeah, and we've always attributed that to sort of a, some sort of psychological problem. And you know, maybe, maybe it's just as simple as a coach that has the tools that he needs and can match up um against an opponent so you know it it seems like what we saw in the boston game and in the anaheim game that that bednar and pratt were matching up pretty well with the you know with with the other teams so yeah that's sort of a nice thing to see because patrick wall really didn't do that ever i don't know if he tried it doesn't seem like he did but that just wasn't a big deal for him and that's sort of why they struggled at home yeah, they, yeah it pretty well seem... would go best versus best at all times. It's just like, I guess that's a theory, but your 48-point team the next year, your, your best cannot have been as good as their best. No. <laughs> yeah. So, at any rate, um, it was good to see um, Tyson Jost put one in the net. Yeah. So, Off his prop, leg. Props there. Yeah, it's yeah, it's always, I mean, getting rookies on the scoreboard is always kind of some, some psychological thing that 
they sometimes have struggles with. So getting his first one in the net, getting him calmed down and, and more confident, I think that'll be really good for him. And uh, and Coach Bednar has him out, you know, with in a five on six. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important for everyone to score their first point of the season just to get it over with. Um, you know, I think there's only two skaters that have played every game that haven't scored yet. And that's, I think EJ and Como are the only ones that haven't put up a point yet. Um, Colin Wilson got his first point last night. <clears throat> um, but I just, you know, I think once you get that first point, you're just a little bit freer and you're like, okay, we got that over with. So just play the game. You're like, all right, we got this. Yeah. Thank God that's done. No more zeros. It's also good to see Soderberg get get a lot of his, his confidence back. I mean, after the season he had last season and even some of the preseason where he didn't have much confidence from Bednar, it was good to see him step up and play like we know he can and get some... I think he got a point or two in the Boston games as well. and and. It was good to see him actually contributing to the team and caring. Yeah, I mean, the the first Boston game in Boston, that line played a lot. And my theory is is that Bednar wanted to put Carl's line out there so that the top six for the Bruins would not get as much time because generally whenever Carl's line was out there, the, the Bruins' bottom six was out there. So, um <clears throat> You know, if, if that's the, in fact what he was doing, I, I like the strategy because that line did not play much when they came back to the Pepsi Center. So, right. Um, but it's it's been the the scoring has been coming from who you would expect it to, I and mean, it's been Duchesne, Andragetto. I mean, it's been there, there's a representative of both top lines right there. Yeah, you know and. <clears throat> Yakupov. Weird. I mean, Comfort. Uh, for for as good as he's been, and as, as much hyped as he's been, and as strong as his line has been, Kerfoot only has two points. Yeah, but he's had several called back. <laughs> yes, he yeah. has. Yes, he should he have pretty. Has. He should have about two goals and three assists right now. <laughs> he scored one with his dome. They got called back. Yeah, so that was fun. <laughs> Um, so the, the next game of the week was on Friday. Avs win big, 3-1 over the Anaheim Ducks, this time only giving up 18 shots on goal across the entire game. But they came out of this one much worse for the wear. Gabe Landeskog and Tyson Berry got on board for Colorado, as well as Nikita Zadorov, a definitely on-purpose bank shot into the empty net for his first as an Av. Nathan McKinnon nearly lost an eye, but turned out to be fine. And plus, Andrew Ghetto appeared to take some kind of wrist injury. It's a tough game, but it's a big win. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see if Sven gets a night off anytime soon, because but there, there just because of the wrist. Yeah, I mean, he's I've seen him do things like try to poke check a Dallas Stars player and just throw a stick at him. <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned he may not be 100. percent Yeah, um, that was you know that was a just a grueling game. Um, you know, Anaheim is generally very physical anyway, but when they were, yeah, they became extremely frustrated when they couldn't put up any kind of offensive pressure at all. And it sort of devolved into hand to hand combat. 
Um, and the time stick to face combat. Yeah. You know, and and actually, and and Miko uh, took a big hit from Manson on the boards and ended up going to the room for a little while too. So just you know, they were they were really beat up after that game. But yeah. again, that was a fantastic performance, and I know the Ducks are missing half their team too. But um, I, again, it's like you know, these are the games they definitely wouldn't have won last year. They would have folded up like, you know, they would have folded up probably after the midway through the second in that game. So uh, they're persevering. They're they're keeping up with you know what they've started to do as far as systems and whatnot, and. You know, they they did they just look like a, a, a totally different mentality out there as far as what they're trying to do. They got quite a bit of, of power play practice in that first period too, so <laughs> boy <Yeah>. did they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good that to see though. Good. I mean they, they played well on the power play. We got a little bit better of an idea of what they generally do. I don't love it. I I like the creativity of their zone entrance where they Four players go up, and then they drop it back to the fifth guy. It's it seems to work about half the time, and but I don't know. It's creative and cool, but I think they need to do something different. They've been doing that a lot last season and starting this season, and I'd like to see something different. That seems to be where a lot of their issues come from on the power play. Is they get into the zone, and then kind of lose the puck to the other team. They throw it down the ice, and they have to restart all over again. Yeah. Um, but once they get set up, they seem to be doing exactly what they should, getting passes off, getting good shots on. And that Landeskog goal in uh, in that first period of the Anaheim game, I mean, was a perfect example of what, what they need to do on the power play. Yeah, that was a power move. <clears throat> The, the, their main issue on the power play has been and continues to be crossing the blue line. So if, if we can ever get them to where they're actually entering the zone, I mean, they're they're doing some good things. There's, there's still some standing around off the puck, but there's less. Um, and it's there's more, uh, you know, crossing the slot and, and less umbrella crap. So it's definitely gone the right direction um, since last season, although they are still 22nd in the league. On the power play, thirteen point eight percent. I just I, I like I like what I'm seeing as far as guys getting the puck and doing either a touch pass or, or getting rid of it very quickly. Um, you know, last year there was just so much of you know either Barry or McKinnon or someone like that just standing there just stick handling by himself while nobody's doing anything uh, of the other four guys. And, Looking you know, for we're seeing a lot more. No yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're seeing a lot more movement. Um, I, I like that they've got kind of a high zone cycle that I've, I've been watching. I don't know. It, it might be just because of the pressure, but uh, they've they sort of been doing a weave around the, the blue line uh, where McKinnon and Barry and someone else just sort of circle around, not instead of a low cycle, it's, an up, uh, it's a high cycle. And it, it generally ends up with Mac taking the puck down low, and it, it, it sort of builds a, th- a low three on two. So if, if they can get that going, that's a that's kind of a a cool little strategy if it if it ends up working like that. Yeah, um, their their power play is cool in the fact that they have a lot of diversity and there's a lot of stuff that they can do. I mean, they've got 
a lot of different guys who can shoot and pass and skate. I mean, they've got a lot of skill that that they can move around and, and confuse a lot of the other teams in, in switching places. And and so, I mean, that's, I think, is where their strengths are going to come in once they get a little bit more practice and, and maybe a different zone entries, please. Now, the yeah. risk with that high cycle, of course, is that if someone pokes the puck away from you, heads up. Yeah. It's going another way in a hurry. But but they're they're basically right now they're they're building an arsenal of different things they can use. You know, last year they didn't you know, they basically had one thing that they were doing. The, any kind of pre scout would have found that and you know, it's it's not, not very difficult to play against. So Hey, go stand by number uh, twelve and you've stopped their power play. Exactly. Yeah. Go stand by the left half wall and just be a wall. And you'll be okay. But it, I, I think by the time we get, you know, maybe 20, 30 games in, they're going to probably have sort of two or three or maybe more than that styles that they can play any given any given power play. So, you know, having options is, is the best way to score on the power play. If the other team doesn't know what, what you're going to do, it, it really gives you a leg up. What if you don't even know what you're going to do? That's even better. Because how can they know what you're going to do if you don't even know what you're going to do? <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's uh, let's let's wrap up the the rundown bit with by with saying um, some words about whatever happened yesterday. Um, Avs traveled to Dallas with less than 24 hours turnaround. Um, after that, physically grueling and emotional roller coaster of game against Anaheim, and they play a rested Stars team who caved them in from start to finish. Avs lose 3-1, and it wasn't that close. Matt Duchesne was your only goal scorer because it was against the Stars, so of course he was. Also, Patrick Nemeth fought Tyler Sagan, which seems on its face like a great trade-off, except Nemeth didn't come back into the game. So I haven't seen any more information on that. Um, maybe you have. Maybe it's been announced by the time this is released. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was something up with his hand, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he was back in the lineup on Tuesday. But we'll see. He was very angry. So was was this game as terrifying as everyone seems to be making it out to be? No. There's a lot of mitigating factors and also a lot of suck. I thought just, you know, detaching myself emotionally from it, looking at the game this morning, um, after the first period, the Avs had a 59% Corsi 4 advantage for the second and third periods. And I know the eye test doesn't really bear that out, but it, it showed that, you know, they knew that they had been bad and came back out and sort of made up for it. Um, you know, it, it wasn't effective and it, they didn't end up scoring from it, but they were able to get back to controlling play a little bit more. And, it, you know, if you're going to lose one, that's a nice thing to take out of it. Yeah, and especially with all the young guys that the Avs have on the team, I mean, playing a back-to-back is hard enough as a vet, and even and as a rookie, I mean, you're not in the shape that those other guys are in. I mean, you're still in great <clears throat> shape, but it's going to be tough to to play a back-to-back game like that. It's, yeah. it's 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 a it's a big thing. I mean, it it doesn't seem like it as fans when you're watching it because some of these guys just, I mean, this is their job, so they can do those back-to-backs. But rookies, it's tough. I mean, again, and, and especially coming off of a game like the Ducks, which was like playing two games practically. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, 
like Kerfoot was was probably the the least effective. Maybe he and Yakupov were both really bad, but you know he 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 got the least ice time out of anybody, and he 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 kind of looked the most out of sorts during the game, and you know that is not surprising at all. Yeah, no, a guy uh, like Kerfoot straight out of the NCAA, he's he is totally new to this pro grind idea. Exactly, and this is the you know the, the stars were the fastest team he's faced so far. I mean, we they have been playing. I mean, Jersey was really fast, but I mean, they just you know nothing went right that game. But you know they've been playing the Rags of Boston and Anaheim, and those are all fairly you know kind of slow grindy teams at this point. And I, I think the the star speed was a big changer for everybody, but I think it probably hit Kerfoot about as bad as it hit anyone. And it didn't help that they were facing into that speed on such a tired occasion. After that game, after that travel, like going from a seven o'clock start to a six o'clock start the next day is just not easy. Yeah, they they got into Dallas at three a.m. Yeah. No, it's so, tough. We were expecting a letdown <laughs> game. Um, Varley gave him a chance to stay in it for quite a while. Um, and then that second goal against happened um, with the – That was, with, that was with, tragic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you're yeah. the Avalanche, do you try to learn anything from that game or do you just kind of consign it to the, to the dirt pile of history and burn it and move on like i mean there's there's some bad games you just never look at again but there's some that you can learn from i mean again i think there's positives you can take out of the second and third periods if you want to i don't you know if i'm the coaching staff that's probably one you just sort of put in a circular file um but you know i mean they were very bad in the first i mean the the Corsi differential was was like plus six minus twenty four. I mean, they were down eighteen shot attempts. I mean, that was just, they just they were on their heels the whole time. And you know that that's it's it's probably good to realize that you know not every team is going to be as slow as the ones that they had been playing. So they need to you know they need to kick it up a notch. Yeah, I think it's something they should definitely learn from. Not one that they can just chalk up as as a loss or or as just kind of a fluke. I mean, games like that are things you definitely need to learn from because you need to learn how to do those back to backs. I know I'd said that earlier, but I mean, you're gonna have a ton of those in your whole career, and you need to figure out how to play those. Not just getting in better shape, but how to play more conservatively, more uh, and slower to conserve all your energy for stuff like those that uh jamie ben goal i mean that jamie ben goal was was pretty obvious that it was it was a tired kind of uh mistake that they all made uh going up i was gonna say it's 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 almost an over aggressive mistake because i mean you get a big z leading the charge and no one stays back for him and then you know you get a poor pass, Mac. Max kind of out of it and doesn't realize it's coming to him, and then suddenly the stars have it, and it's a you know. Well, I mean that, that <laughs> kind of proves my point in a way. Yeah, yeah they were because mentally they were out of it. <laughs> exactly. So I mean they're tired. McKinnon didn't expect a puck coming. I mean when you're a pro, you need to expect the puck coming at all times. So yeah. and if Andrew, if if Zadorov is leading your charge on the forecheck, kind of being a little slow. Yeah. So, and then they didn't get back to back check. I mean, it's 
something that they need to learn from and, and figure out how to play. Yeah, Eric Johnson played that about as well as he could have, which was to make sure there wasn't a pass, and Varley just got beat over his far shoulder. Yeah, I'm pretty He's, sure the guy, the guy, other guy on the two-on-one was uh, Sagan, so... Yeah, yeah but, there, that... but there was no lane to him, so... You've, you've got to pick your poison and make sure it's one you don't have to make lateral movement for also. Yeah. Now there's, you know, as soon as you saw that going up the ice, you're like, this is not going to end well. Yeah. That, as soon as it went off the, off McKinnon's stick blade and you're just like, uh Oh, <laughs> not good. Not good. Oh, yeah. well, that shot was pretty good, I guess, but not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I, d- I, I think this is, you know, it, it, it was probably better. I, I mean, I hate to say this. But it, it was probably better that they lost a game this early. You know, like if they'd gone five and one after beating that, uh, after beating the Stars, um, you know, it's like they're, they're not a, a five and one team, at least in my mind. So that, that might have start, started really overinflating the egos and. I think maybe a loss there was a good bit of humility, regardless of the circumstances. You know, it's 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 a good that it's a it's a good loss to take. They're on the road now. They have a day today to, to rest and look at video, and they'll practice tomorrow and then and play the Preds on on Tuesday. So, you know, how they respond is 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 kind of important. Yeah, having the day physically off today has to have been just amazing. Yeah, for, in Nashville. Yeah, for for guys like Sven and Miko who needed a minute. And, and Kerfoot as well. Yeah. So um, f- there's been a lot of different names on the score sheet this week. Um, there's also been a lot of names. I mean, you know, a, a, I don't want to say a lot of names making mistakes because everyone really did it in one game. Um, but it's not like there's, there's been necessarily any one person who we can point to as the giant go to the week this time. So I'm curious to see how this is going to go. Let's look at our stars and scratches of the week. Um, who do we want to award our first star? I was going to go with Landy. Um, he's just, he, he, he is looking like the guy that we thought, you know, that we were going to have for years when we drafted him. Um, he is eating giant minutes. Like yesterday he had four minutes on the power play and five minutes on the PK and led all the forwards in ice time with over 21 minutes on the end of that back-to-back. So, you know, the, the cap is really, you know, he, he, he's really a different player than we saw last year and maybe for a couple of years. And I, I think that's really good to see because a lot of people are saying, you know, maybe he might be a, a Dustin Brown. And no one wants a Dustin Brown. No. So that, that's a pretty good choice. Um, he really has been one of those guys who's tried to do what he can to put the team on his back when he's had to. Fortunately, this season he hasn't really had to just a whole lot. Um, and then he's also, you know, had a lot of chemistry on his line with uh, with JT and so forth. Um, he's been getting really just kind of killed in the underlying numbers, but that's also because he's been given like almost no offensive zone starts ever. So. Like he's... Yeah, you look at their matchups. Like Landy and Comfer's matchups, they're not matched up with anyone. They're just always in the defensive zone. Yeah, they're they're just the defensive guy, and no matter who you're up against, it's uh, it's it's yeah. not an easy life for 
for for Mr. Landeskog. So yeah, and he's he's playing it really well. He's taking that role and really running away with it. So star number two, Andrew Ghetto would be my vote. I mean, that guy had six points in in the first three games of the week. And he played really well in all of them. I had my doubts about the guy coming into this season, thinking, yeah, he's a good player, has some chemistry with McKinnon and Rantanen, but probably is only a third-line-ish player. But he's proved me wrong so far. He's played extremely well. He's got good vision. He's got a good shot. And I don't know. He, he's played extremely well this week. I think he's a lot tougher than everyone thinks, too. I mean, everyone's sort of like, oh, he's small, you know, and, and he really doesn't play like it. Like, he's very tenacious on the boards, and he plays physical enough for a guy his size. Um, I'm, I'm with you there. I think he's really shown people he's, you know, he's not really that one-dimensional. Yeah, and he, when in his time in Montreal, he didn't have a ton of, of chances to show his skill. I mean, they Montreal has always had issues with their center and their center <laughs> position. So he hasn't really had a chance to prove that he can be a top line player, but now that he's got some good guys around him and some, some confidence from the coaches, it seems like it's definitely somebody that we should keep an eye on. Yeah. And we spent a yeah. lot of time this summer trying to temper expectations on the guy. Just kind of like, he hasn't really had a season like this before. And it was a shortened, you know, bit of the season with, with better line mates than he's ever had, and with a chip on his shoulder kind of situation, like you know, try to curb your enthusiasm on him. But so far, he's like he's tied with Matt Duchesne, six points in six games. So I mean, yeah, it's six games. But if there was going to be a letdown, you would think we would already be kind of starting to see it. Not that he's going to score eighty-two points this season, but he's also not going to score fifteen. Yeah. And I, I, I really like that the that the Montreal media is latched on to a, to watching him, and and you know they're just sort of questioning like, all right, you know we we, we traded this guy for Andreas Martinson, who's in Laval right now, and you know this guy's scoring a point a game with Nathan McKinnon. Right. And they, they traded Martinson but, for for some other no name player. Yeah, some other career AHLer. Yeah. It's cut. Kyle Bound, he went to Colgate. He's all right, but um... <laughs> no, <he's... laughs> we love our Colgate players at Burgundy Rainbow, but <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, it's like you know, with the, with the scoring problems the Habs have had this season, I mean, it's obvious that they're going to be looking at you know every little detail of, of mistakes they've made over the past year, and, and Andrew Ghetto is, is a huge one. I mean, they flat out could use him in their top six right now. Uh, the Habs are also not as bad at scoring as they look like they are right now. Like they're they're going to be fine. Yeah, but you know, you're, if the the French Canadian media has to panic about stuff like this, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I'm I'm. I'm just glad that he's, you know, he he does not look out of place on that line at all. If anything, he looks better than Miko has. <clears throat> um, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, I I want to throw a star this week um, with an honorable mention to to Nail, who's got five points in six games. I want to throw my star this week to Tyson Berry. Nice. 
who also has five points in six games, two goals, three assists, and generally just looks like the defender that we have needed him to be and that he has inconsistently but been for the for the last season or two. He has he has been who we need him to be and his pairing with Nemeth, apart from Saturday when he got completely filled just like everyone else did, that pairing with, with Patrick Nemeth has been rock solid. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people... You know, aren't, aren't big fans of his shot from the point, but that rocket he scored on the other night was just—I mean, you're just like, whoa! <laughs> he's been working on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can definitely tell he's—he's he's been working on it. I mean, yeah, he—he—he he, he has a good wrist shot, but I mean, his slapper's never been good. But this past couple of games, I've seen him rip a couple, and I was very impressed. Yeah. No, whoa! It's... Who was that? Yeah, yeah, was that, that was... Yak? No, not good enough to be Yaks. <laughs> about to rip his helmet off and reveal that he's somebody else, Mighty Duck style. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good to see Tyson, you know, after sort of the struggles he had last year, and we know that the the, the Avs were sort of like, you know, you, you just signed this contract, bud, and, and what are you doing to us now? And, you know, he, he got serious about it over the, the summer, and he's come back fit and trim and stronger, and you know, he's not terrible defensively. Um, and his offense is really picked up, and that's fantastic to see. Yeah, they've been catching a lot of defensive zone starts as well, which people don't seem to understand the logic behind that. Um, the strength of Tyson Berry's game is in his transition. It's in his breakout. And no, he's not awesome if his if his line is getting pinned in. He's not a strong defender, you know, in the crease. He's going to lose battles there, but... If his if his team can get their stick on the puck, Tyson Berry can get it out of there. Starting him in, yeah. his, in his own zone utilizes his skill set on the back end very well. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, think with with Johnson being out a lot of last season, he was put in a place to fail, and he's never going to be a guy like Johnson where he can take a ton of minutes and eat away a bunch of time against top top guys. But he can absolutely be the guy that starts in the D zone. We can win a face-off or get the puck to him and transition out, and that's that's where that's where his strengths are. Not being the top guy like like Johnson is, so he he got a bad rap last season for for some of that, but he's he's showed very well this this season so far. Blamed for things yeah, I mean, beyond his control, surely not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Johnson Johnson can take so many PK minutes. I think he had. He's had over six or seven PK minutes in several games so far this year. And that's just something that, that I mean, really none of the defense can do. I mean, Z can't do that. Nemeth might uh, down the road, but Barry can't. Um, you know, just having a defenseman that can eat that many minutes on the PK is fantastic. Yeah, and, and we'll get to the PK shortly. Um, but... Before we do that, we have uh, downsides to look at. Who is on your list to scratch this week? I'm struggling here. Okay. I mean, it's not overwhelming optimism. It's just no one's been like, God, we got to get rid of this guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think one of the scratches, I wouldn't say the top scratch or anything, but Wilson has kind of disappointed a little bit. He hasn't played necessarily bad, but I mean, coming in to the offseason and get a guy like that who's been a middle six player for Nashville, 
trade a fourth round pick to a guy making over four million, and you expect him to play middle six minutes, and he just didn't look good. And and it's it's kind of a crappy situation in the fact that Kerfoot came in and stole a, stole a spot in the top nine, and Yakupov came in and stole a spot, and we were expecting to have a lot less depth on the wings, but you still think you should he should play a little bit better, especially with him having a lot more experience than a lot of those other guys. So not necessarily yeah. bad, but somebody you want to see contribute a little bit more. Yeah, I mean he you know, I make no secret that he's my least favorite guy on the team, but you know, he he had his best game of the season last night and he got an assist on the goal and uh, you know, he, he played a, a really good game, and that was good to see. I, I'm just, you know, what's tough for me is he's supposed to be sort of someone who's going to help scoring, and I'm not seeing that. You know, it's just I'm not seeing puck skills that can keep up with the rest of the team. Um, and he, he's sort of <clears throat> he's sort of an awkward fit with Landeskog and, and Comfer. Um, you know, when when Joe's comes back, I think those three work really well together, and I think Wilson was actually working pretty well with with Carl and, and Como. Yeah, I think but, his style of play works well with those two, just being a little bit slower and a little bit more uh, vision-oriented, yeah. I guess. Well, it's just, you know, those guys are, you know, Como is a great four-checker, and so is Wilson. It's just, you know, you can dump the puck in with those guys, and they can bang down low, and, and you know, they can they can create a little time in the offensive zone, um, you know, even if they're, you know, a little bit challenged as far as putting it in the net. I'm I'm in kind of the same boat um, where I'm struggling to come up with a guy that I really would scratch, scratch. Um, and the one name that I have settled on, I I don't actually want to see anything bad happen to at all because he's got five points. Um, but can we talk about Miko Ranton and and pulling the trigger on a shot? Yeah, he he was he was he was who I didn't want to say was a scratch, but kind of is. Yeah, Miko, shoot the puck. That's your job. Yeah. Um, love all the assists, four assists. That's nice, but you know, I, I've seen his shot for for two years plus now, and it's a wonderful shot. He needs to use it, and that that whole line is kind of a little bit stymied at even strength, and that's you know, <clears throat> I, I think he's the guy that has to get going for them to be successful at even strength. So, the- but, but let's hope that happens soon. The reputation and honor of Nathan McKinnon is depending on you scoring goals. Miko Ran and please shoot the puck. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I, I don't. Again, I don't think he has played bad and doesn't necessarily deserve a scratch on on any normal normal stretch or week. But I mean, a lot of Avs players had a lot of good weeks, so he just has been on the lower end of those. And yeah, shoot the puck. That that is where. A lot of his success came from last season, and because nobody else would, and he needs to and, shoot. That's his job on that line for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's he's not he's not very good in the defensive zone, and you know that that's just something he's young, and, and hopefully that's something that that sort of you know works into his game as the years go by. But you know, that being the case, that, that you know that that really means that he needs to produce in the offensive zone, and you know it's not. <clears throat> it's not happening at five, five v five yet. Do we have another name? I guess 
if we're not going to throw any other out there, if we have to do three, I would throw either Nieto, probably just Nieto in there. Not that he had any bad games, didn't get much of a chance to play badly, but that first game he was in, getting all those penalties, I guess that could be counted as a scratch. That was a while back, too, though. Yeah, fair enough. But that's not a bad problem to have when you're just kind of looking at your bottom lines, be like, I mean, I guess Nieto, maybe, or I guess Como, sort of, you know. Like, when you're looking at your, your guys that aren't expected to have a huge impact, and those are the ones that haven't had an impact, that's a good problem to have. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, are, are you going to scratch Eric Johnson for not having a point yet, you know, with, with what else he's been doing? I mean, he's had a couple, you know, not-so-hot games, but in general, but with the minutes that he eats every night, um, you know, he makes up for it, so he can't be a scratch. Oh, his pairing with Sidorov was ungodly on Friday. Yeah. Um. But you mentioned Eric Johnson killing penalties a little while ago as you know someone who's been eating up a ton of minutes. We harped and harped and harped for like an hour and a half on the penalty kill on last week's show. And somebody at the front office listened because Colorado's <laughs> penalty kill has been good. The results have been good. They There's still um, some improvement that we could probably still stand to see, but they're not last in the league anymore. They sure aren't. In fact, they are third last in the league with 73%, but last week they were at 50%, so that's a, that's a lot of going in the right direction. And, and strangely is... enough, they are third in the league in penalty in minors taken, and they are also third in the league in time shorthanded, so I'm, I'm thinking there's a little correlation. Mm-hmm. There's, a, uh, there's also this thing where it's very early in the year, and the Ottawa Senators haven't given up a, PK, or a power play goal yet, so I mean... There's still a lot of fluctuation to go. Um, I'm glad, though, to see that the, that the trend of Colorado Avalanche take a penalty and get scored on within 25 seconds may not be a thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think early in the year, and I, I, forget, I forget if we touched on this um, last week, but, but they really had, I mean, they had eight or nine guys that were killing penalties sort of equally. And... As the week wore on, they really um, they sort of solidified it into a couple of good pairs and then some fill-in dudes. And I, I think just having sort of consistent pairs out there, as far as the forwards go, um, really helped out as far as just sort of getting some chemistry, being able to to get the puck out. I mean, you, you need chemistry defensively as much as you do offensively. And one other thing I noticed is after, after they were just so totally awful on the PK is every time they cleared it, they were, you know, they were not trying to make a touch pass out of the zone. They were just hammering it like a total one iron. I mean, they were just getting it down the ice and, you know, it, it might've been overcompensation, but no I, I think that was pretty crucial. Yeah. No muffins. And then everybody's scampering to get off the ice as hard as they can, which kind of comes back to bite you when you've got Ben Bishop in and at the other end, and he's kind of like yeah. a, a, a third defenseman. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, there was a... That oh shit look on Comfer's face last night. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, there's been, there were a couple of those. Like, there was a play where Nemeth wasn't able to change. Everyone, like on the five on three, every, like the forwards got off, but Nemeth couldn't because he had to stop like halfway off and sprint back to prevent O two on nothing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, 
So F you, Ben but, Bishop. Stop that shit. Yeah. Why can't you play fucking all Farley? The... <laughs> all, all in all, the PK was very promising in, in rising from dead last by a mile to where they are now. Yeah. It's, I've spent a lot of time on the internet arguing for how unimportant special teams really are because so much of the game is played at even strength. But this year, with the way they're calling stick infractions now, um, special teams is really important. It, yeah, yeah, that's what I said at the beginning of the year, too. I mean, we we had some predictions on what would somewhat dictate how well the Avs did, and I said special teams. I mean, with how many penalties are coming, it's it's crazy how much time people teams are spending shorthanded and there's so many more five on threes now and, and and power plays it's it's super important and the pk is somewhere that the abs previously have kind of succeeded in and that's a lot probably due to varley and his his why not us season play but i think them having a good penalty kill and a Decent power play is going to be huge to their success. Yeah, a lot of the difficulty with the penalty kill last year came down to Calvin Pickard being just one of the worst PK goalies in the league by, you know, by, bar none. Like, he, he wasn't the worst, but he was bottom three. Um, the, it's not yeah. that the kill itself was necessarily that bad, which it you know, wasn't good, but he they, they, they didn't have the help behind them that they have this year from Varley and Bernier. Yeah. And, you know, to, to go forward to the power play, um, you know, in the same vein, they're getting a ton of power plays, and that just makes it, uh, you know, all that more important that they take advantage of them at least a little bit. You know, it just it makes it tough to get into 5v5 rhythm when you have just special teams all over the place. So it's, you know, it's becoming a little bit more important to have uh, you know, your power play working as well. So what do you guys think about the the new officiating style? Is it is it long term good or bad? And right now it's pretty painful to watch. I hate it. I mean, I I don't like lots of special teams, but I mean, I I get what they're trying to do. And if if they can eliminate, you know, the slashing on the hands and the the gratuitous holding and things like that, then you know, I'm willing to go through twenty or thirty games of this, um, just so everyone gets the message and, and stops doing that. But it, you know, if, if we're gonna have ten power plays a game, I, I'm, you know, that's just not that interesting to me. You're, uh, you you haven't cut out yet, despite the somewhat worse audio quality. You haven't cut out yet at all, but your mic still picks up your dog's collar. <laughs> She's having a drink right now. Can you catch that? <laughs> it, but I mean, it, it. We're a couple weeks in now. Guys obviously have their habits. But you've got to know the rules and how they're being called at all times and not just casually reach out and slap people with your stick, Blake Como. Don't just Colin Wilson. Don't just reach out and slap hands, Colin Wilson. All of yeah. the ducks roster. All of the ducks out there. They, yeah. they can well, they all... can they can do it more. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean again if if it's for the greater good, if they're if they are teaching people a lesson, that's fine. Um, but if, you know, if, if they're, you know, if, if the motivation is just to call lots of penalties and I'm not for this at all. And I don't think yeah. it is because it's not like you're suddenly seeing a huge uptick in obstruction apart from that one penalty on Lindholm. 
I mean, yeah. for the most part, they're still letting guys bear hug into the boards if they need to. They're not that worried about finishing a check or that, or, you know, collisions away from the you When you're trying to get the puck out of the zone with 10 seconds left, you can do that. Yeah, if you're in front of Jamie Benn and you're trying to skate forward and you can't, that's just that's just magic. <laughs> he's big. He's got gravity. <laughs> these, these officials have just driven me insane. Everyone plays under the same rules, and we have and the debate isn't whether it's been good officiating; it's whether these are good rules. Um, it's it's going to come down to the learning curve, and if if we're in <coughs> April and teams are still taking four or five slashing penalties a game. Ugh. Yeah, no, it's just I. I mean, that's that, that's what I'm hoping is that, like by Christmas they can, you know, everyone learns. I mean, this is kind of like back when they started call, calling interference all the time after the 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 year lockout. Yeah. Um, you know, they they called tons of penalties that for the half of that year, and then everybody got the message, and you know, they sort of settled back into three power plays aside each each game yeah which is which is about where i think it should be and especially when the playoffs start you see fans just you know screaming if call the rule book call the rule book well that's what they're doing and we're seeing now why you may want them to spend more time managing the game than calling well technically yeah no i mean it's just i I, you know you should be able to manage a game well with two or three penalties aside per game and sometimes tennis I didn't enough, Anaheim. <laughs> so I just felt bad for him. Boy, they they just look like victims. They look so sorry <laughs> for every single one of them. Especially Perry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Screw that team. <laughs> so uh shout out to Vlad and Jackie who stopped by the chat to say hello. They didn't join to listen to to us or anything, but I see their chat messages. Um, Jackie left us a question for the show earlier today. Earl, you want to uh, go ahead and bust that out for us? Sure. Um, she asked on the Burgundy Rainbow Sunday Easy Thread page that given the encouraging 4-2 and two start, have our expectations or benchmarks for a successful season change? And I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting question that you know it, they probably shouldn't. Um, but maybe, you know, there were some real unknowns coming into this season. So it's like, I didn't know what Alexander Kerfoot was going to be like, and we still really don't, but he's sort of more of a known quantity now than he was before the season started. So maybe he, he jacks it up a little, um, you know, you, you could say the same thing about Yakupov, um, I'm not going to raise my expectations much. You know, I, I thought they'd be in the high seventies and I'll, I'll stick with that until it really looks like they won't be. But, um, you know, it'll be a good high seventies. Yeah. If I'm honest, I didn't really have any expectations for the season. There, like Earl said, there are so many unknowns that I have no idea what was going to happen, who was going to play well, who was going to have shitty seasons. So, I mean, I don't think my expectations are changed at all. I'm optimistic, and I think that they can play very well. They have a lot of skill, a lot of young rookies that can play extremely well. But, yeah, I mean, this shouldn't change anybody's 
expectations. I mean, even last season with the abysmal season that it was, they started off three and one as well and had an undefeated preseason. So, in a on the turn of a dime, I mean, this team can fall apart just as easy as it can. Play yeah, I mean, I, I was well. hoping that they could score. You know, I didn't, I didn't know if they could, um, but it, it looks like that that scoring is not going to be you know, the, the problem that it was last year. Um, and that's, you know, that might raise my expectations, but I, you know, I was like, I, I really want to see them get to, you know, sort of the, the 210 to 220 goal level. And, you know, that's still very difficult to get to when you factor in, you know, how many goals everybody has to score. So now I'm just maybe feeling a little bit more comfortable in where I, I, I was sort of thinking they'd be. Um, I guess one unexpected thing for me has been Nemeth. Um, yes, and I, I hated it when it ha- when they did it, and I just thought it was totally unnecessary. But the dude has been on it, and he's really given them something that they needed. And um, you know, as much as I hate the the pro scouting staff and player personnel departments, they really hit a home run there so far. Um. I feel like there's two different ways to approach this question, this topic. Um, if if you look at it as what kind of uh, expectations we have for the team, like what numbers do we need to hit to to, to call the season a success? How, how many points does this guy or that guy need to score? Um, what kind of save numbers are we looking for? I don't think that changes at all. But when when you think about it, subconsciously how you watch the games you know i come into the season thinking every game they win is found money because who cares what happens you're not making the playoffs anyway we're we're seeing what guys have we're trying to, to develop guys we're hoping to get some good trade returns later you know it's it, it's a season that is forward looking and not interested in itself um if they continue to win games if they continue to have three-game win streaks here and there, which they had for the first time since March 2016, um, then your expectations from game to game internally begin to shift. You, you're more disappointed if they have an outing like they had on Saturday and ha- have more talk about burning the place down. You're more frustrated if they fall off late in the year and end up getting that draft spot that we all expected them to get in the first place. Um, so because we get caught up in the ride, the ride is fun and that's, that's great. Like have a great time watching a a bunch of grown ass men playing a game. Um, because it's, it's so much better to watch. It's so much more entertaining than it ever was at any point last season. Even when they were winning at the beginning of the year, it was not this, they didn't dominate two games straight. Like they did this week. Um, ever. I don't think they had one game like those two. So this is, it's so hard to, when, to, to, at the same time, let yourself get wrapped up in the moment and let yourself ride the high up, but also have that in the back of your head that don't forget where you expected them to be. Yeah. So. I, I'm just, you know, I, 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 that's a great point because, uh, being able to turn on a game and, and and actually be kind of psyched that that something good might happen is it, it's a real change you know <laughs> and it's wonderful you know i mean it's like you can look forward to games now i noticed you know, this on like, friday 
um, because <laughs> I, I wasn't able to watch most of the Anaheim game. And last February or March, I'd have been like, do I really want to go hang out with, with a whole bunch of people I don't know? Not really. Do I really want to sit at home and watch this avalanche game? Not really. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, I have to miss the game. Too bad. This year, it's crap. How do I get out of here as quickly as possible so I can go home and watch this game? Like, yeah. it, I'm excited for game day again, and that's awesome. So, it's there's there's two different kinds of expectations. So, I mean, from, from game to game, from night to night, my expectations are 100% different from seeing this team play cohesively and quickly, and even when things are working against them, they're still playing hockey and not shinny and not just chasing the puck around. Yeah, but, but no, it's the, the mentality. Yeah, my, my benchmark for a successful season is still upper 70s and standings points. It's not That's not changed. <clears throat> so to answer the question, eh. Yes and no. Yeah, I mean... It- uh, let's say I'll be less surprised if they end up doing better than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but they still probably won't. <laughs> it's six games. There's 82 yeah. in the season. They're going to play like almost 30 games in seven weeks later on. So it's going to be, uh, they're, they're going to have plenty of chances to start to fall off to the grind. Yeah. So, um, shall we turn our attention to San Antonio? I hear there's some interesting things happening with the Rampage. Yeah, the the, the Rampage are above 500. For uh, they were they were brief briefly at 500, but they are again above 500 after a win yesterday. And again, that that hasn't happened since February of 2016. So that that's good to see. Um, yesterday, they actually had a comeback win in the third period of all time. Um, big Joe Colborn. They Rampage really needed a goal. They were down 2-1 in the third period, and, and Joe Colborn came up with a power play goal. It was unbelievable. <laughs> um, Did he come up with that two was more? This, what's that? Did he come up with two more? No, oh. he's saving that. Um, saving that for a big game, I think. <clears throat> and, then, and then Andrew Agazzino... Uh, Scored the game winner with uh, just a handful of minutes left. Uh, but that's sort of something that the Rampage really couldn't do last year. Uh, they were just so challenged as far as putting the puck in the net that, um, you know, being down two to one at the beginning of a third period just sort of, you, you knew it probably wouldn't end well. Um, and. They're they're tied for second in the Pacific Division right now. I mean, oh, it's three games and stuff like that. And one of the teams they beat was horrible, but you know they're they're just they're they're playing better than they did last year. And, and like the Abs, there's just a a little hint of optimism in the air. And um, and you've got to beat horrible teams, just like we were talking about <laughs> with with the Boston part. You've got to beat horrible teams. Exactly. You know. Um, Otherwise, and, you are the horrible team. <laughs> exactly. You know, so it's just a, you know, it, there's just, you know, just like with the abs, there's a little bit of a different feeling right now. Um, they're a little bit more well-rounded. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. They're playing the Texas Stars, who have been the best team in the division to date, um, three times in a row this weekend. So Ew, I yeah. hate those. 
three days in a row too. Oh. Yeah, at Friday and Saturday in Cedar Park, and then Sunday at home at the AT and T Center. You ever so, want to fucking hate somebody? Play them three days in a row when they're your yeah, regional I mean, they, rival already. They play each other fourteen times a year. It's just you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you that's get tired a, of seeing them. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so that's fun, and and we heard over the weekend that the Avs had reassigned or actually loaned. Uh, AJ Greer to the rampage. So I, I don't know exactly what that means as far as his concussion and his injury status or not. Um, he's been down there skating in a non-contact jersey. So I, I would imagine he's going to be cleared for full contact, and that's what Dan Weiss said um, on the radio broadcast. He, he thinks that AJ is probably going to be in full contact gear the whole week, and there's a good shot he'll be in the lineup this weekend. So good, good. That's it's good to see he's, you know, he, he needs conditioning help from what I understand. Um, you know, it's just, he's, he's been out for so long that his, his conditioning is not where he's not up to avalanche standards, let's say. And, you know, that, that's probably going to determine how quickly he gets back in the lineup. And then we can start sort of the Greer watch to see when maybe the Avs think about bringing him up to Colorado. Hashtag Greer watch. Yep. Let him start scoring two or three points a night, and then we can start yelling about which Avalanche player we hate the most and would like to see AJ Greer replace. Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, to kind of tie into another topic that's bubbling in the back of my head um who do you think when if there is if the okay in a fantasy world where the avalanche use their call-ups in this manner and not only for injuries if if aj greer demonstrated that he just had to come up who would go down in his place i think it'd have to be an injury call-up you know i think it would have to be a defenseman (laughs) a russian one (laughs) Is, that never is, plays. <laughs> is it a Russian one that never plays, or is it Anton Lindholm, who also you know wasn't super awesome in his couple of games either? Um, I don't know. The the, the Miro situation is just strange in and of itself. Um, I just you know I, I don't know what to make of it at this point. Um, I I think honestly, if Miro wasn't around, they'd only have twenty two guys anyway. That's sort of been the Avs style over the past couple of years. They don't like having people sitting there not playing. So, um, which is understandable, and, but that would be an, a fine place for like a Joe Colborn. Ah, I mean, I don't, you know, I that's another weird situation. We've got weird situations all over the place here. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think the best thing for Colborn is to go down and, and start scoring. I mean, you know. He looked pretty stoked when he scored that goal. That's sort of the first sign of happiness I've seen in him in a long time. So, yeah, if he starts tearing up the AHL, then maybe you know maybe some some moves can be made. Yeah, I'm comfortable sending Mirnov down and bringing up Greer if 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 that's what they end up doing. But I actually think Nieto might get sent down. I mean, he hasn't. He's been shown to be a solid bottom sixer, and but he hasn't shown to be anything more than that. And getting Greer up, getting some games, easing him 
easing him into a bigger role with the team and then keeping Como up, trading him as soon as you can, preferably at the deadline, and then bringing Nieto back up or, you know. I mean, that that would be my ideal. I, I prefer having more defense, so having uh, Lindholm and Miranov up and practicing seems beneficial to me. But um, but I would be comfortable sending either Miranov or Lindholm down. I mean, what if what if sending Miranov down just basically sends him back to Russia forever? I honestly, I I wouldn't be too upset. I I was a big yeah. advocate for Miranov before the season started, uh, but after watching him play, eh, he there there's a ton of him, and yeah, he's young. We drafted him; it'd be cool to get him on the abs team consistently, but if we lose him to the KHL, I mean, it's not a huge loss. We got a lot of guys that can replace him and there will be a lot of guys in free agency that can replace him just as easy. So yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at. You know? Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and <clears throat> the, the thing with Miranov is, is, you know, he's, he's 23. He's probably not going to develop a whole lot more. So if he's not, ready to, to be a, a third-pairing NHL defenseman right now. You know, how much time, uh, you know, how much time do you really want to spend trying to get him, you know, good enough to play 10 minutes tonight, you know? Yeah, what what is in his ceiling that Duncan Siemens can't already do? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I know Duncan looked awful in preseason, but, you know. So just, did Miro. That, that per- <laughs> That performance on opening night by Miro is just sort of like, you know, uh oh. But, you know, it's like he's a person and I want to see him succeed. So if what they're doing with him right now and it's it's sort of a finite time thing, you know, they're 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 really working on his English and understanding what he needs to do as far as, you know, the system and all that. <clears throat> and he can come in and be a, you know, third pairing defenseman sometime in you know, November. Okay. Yeah, I think that is his biggest issue is the the language barrier. And like, it sucks and it takes time and probably money for the abs. And if you don't want to spend money and, and time doing that, then that's fine. Send him back to the KHL if that's what he wants to do. But I do think that he has a decently high ceiling. Nothing more than a high-end third pairing and, and a fill-in for any injuries in the top four, but I mean, he was a KHL All-Star, and he has played well in the KHL, and that's a different league, different situation, but I, I do see a lot of upside to him and keeping him around, but it's not so it's not such a big ceiling or potential that losing him would be detrimental. Yeah, it's not yeah. like the skills aren't there. I mean... You got to imagine that the Avalanche knew when he came over what his English skills were going to be and what that was going to mean for his ability to adapt to a new team and a new system and for the new team and the system to adapt to him. Like, we we make the language barrier out to be a, the, the big deal that it truly is, but I just wonder, like, you knew? What were you expecting? So I certainly hope they have some language learning services in place for him because he obviously would need them. Yeah, and they kind of knew that in July, too, so... yeah. Um, and also, you know, another point about Miro, I, I watched a couple of games of his at the World Championships, and yeah, that's yellow shinny hockey and everything like that, but, you know, it's like he was making some decent first passes and making good decisions, and yeah, I mean, the Russians play a very stifling, 
soccer on skate style, but, um, you know, I, from what I saw there, he had the skills to do what he needs to do to be a third pairing guy in the NHL. Um, but then again, it just, you know, it's like, do you take Bigar out for him? Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, Bigar yeah, is playing like, every night. I, and you know, Barbario, I mean, Barbario is, is who he is. He's not that great, but you know, it's like, you know, he can do a lot more than Miro can. So I, you know, I don't even know like what he has to do to get back in the lineup. You know, that that's not a total gift from the staff. An injury, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I would be comfortable if they ended up somehow Mirnov leaving. It wouldn't be that big of a deal because you got Lindholm and you got Barbario to to switch in that sixth defensive spot every night. And you got a couple people like Warsawski and Siemens who can come up if they need to. So keeping him around. Have Warsawski. Back back to topic. No. (laughs) Back to the topic of AJ Greer. If it's between AJ Greer and Miranov, I would a hundred percent pick Greer every time. Just because I mean I'm I'm a huge fan of that guy and and I would love to see him on the NHL roster getting eased into a spot that I think he could succeed in a lot and help the team a lot. I, I want to see him play some games in the AHL just to make sure that, you know, everything's where it should be. After oh, absolutely. His melon crashed. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, once we get a handle on where he is, you know, then, then we can start having the discussion about who needs to be sacrificed to, to make him a you know, come up to the NHL. And, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be a situation that, that presents itself like an injury. And that's, you know, I'd rather deal with that than thinking about sending down Matt Nieto or someone like that. It, um, God, I'm not sure that Matt Nieto clears waivers, and I'm not sure that that's the way you want to lose him either. I think he might be somebody that either is part of a package or gets you a middle round pick at the deadline. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a it's a dumb way to lose a guy like that. So, um, you know, I <clears throat> so someone advocated on the site today sending Kerfoot down, and you know, it's like, yeah, that's easy. He doesn't have to go through waivers or anything like that. But it's you know, that, we're not. I don't think we're we're there yet with him. I could never figure out whether that person <laughs> was advocating advocating to demote him in lines or actually demote him to San Antonio because actually demoting him to San Antonio it just seems kind of like I don't know why you would do it's that. It's a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had one bad game, you know. <laughs> you know, Five it's like good that, yeah, definitely. Exactly. <laughs> It's not like he was, you know, the one bad guy last night. And, you know, Yakupov had a worse game as far as I'm concerned. So it's like, they, you know. There weren't there a lot, a whole of, good lot games of last night. Exactly. There was a whole lot of not so hot. So, yeah, he 100% earned his spot and, and should be given a couple games that he plays bad. He he deserves to be where he is. Yeah, worst. I mean, it, I, th- I think what it showed was there are some flaws in that line that maybe maybe we're not going to be able to keep that line together as is for as long as maybe we'd like. Yeah. That, that line should be together when possible, but maybe possible isn't all the time. Yeah. Cause it's just, 
Um, there's just too much of a good thing there, let's say. Yeah. Um, so should we, should we uh, do next week? Yeah, let's, let's hit it. Whoosh, wah. Next week, we only have two games on the docket. First up on Tuesday, Colorado travel to Nashville to take on P.K. Subban and the Predators. That's a six-mountain start on local broadcasts. And then on Thursday, the Avs are back home with the Pepsi Center for a 7 o'clock tilt with the St. Louis Blues, also on local broadcasts. It's a thin week, which is nice after this weekend, and a couple of good tests. Yeah. Um, and, and despite how much I hate the Blues, they're actually playing well. Um, yeah, I mean, the, <clears throat> I, I think that the schedule has sort of been nice in the way that it's sort of ramped up gradually. Um, you know, I, I think these are two hard in-division games, and, and I think especially the way they present themselves to Nashville on, on Tuesday night is, is important after what happened last night. Um, you know, it's it, it's tough to make a prediction on points here. <laughs> I I could not agree with that more. The response they have Tuesday night is going to be so telling for where this team is. So telling. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how they stack up against Nashville and St. Louis, just because that they have proven to be a consistent playoff contender each year, and and if the Avs can play well against them, then I think. We will ex- figure out a little bit more. We will figure out a little bit more how they will stack up at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean the the, the stars were you know there was sexy pick for the the conference finals and everything at, at the beginning of the season, but um, there, there was a there was a large amount of imaginary awesomeness there, and I think there still is honestly. Um, but you know, with Nashville, even though they've got a couple injuries and they're a little depleted as related to their team last year, um, you know, they're, they're solid. This is going to be a good test. And then, you know, St. Louis, you know, they're, they're the one team above us. And it'll um, be interesting to see how our offense will stack up against Nashville's defense. I mean, you don't get better than the Nashville decor. So if we can consistently get some goals on them, I think. Alright, this connection is doing some funky stuff. Um, I'm getting some weirdness in the connection here. Um, but I have one like important thing left to say on these two before we get into the silliness of predictions, which is I think that we have seen so far that these teams that aren't as fast that try to... Holy crap, what was that? <laughs> Are we recording? Is this yeah. thing on? Yeah. <laughs> Is everyone still there? What's happened? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah. All of a sudden, it was just yeah. like, bloop, 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 bloop. I didn't so, hear anything. Okay. Yeah, maybe me neither. Just, maybe just my connection to C-Mail then. Um, but you were just making a point, and the, the poltergeist ate it, and so I started talking. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, well, I think you were about to say something about how Nashville isn't a steam around and, and how the Avs deal with that, like yeah. they've been dealing with the other slow teams so far. That, that you know, that, that's, that's something to me says they, they could have some success on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I'm just watching the way that they match up against teams that try to bruise you, teams that they are definitely faster than. 
I think that get, clubs like Nashville and St. Louis, even though they're obviously much better than Boston or Anaheim, um, I think those are clubs that that Colorado can have a lot of success against, just because of the um, you know fight, fighting fire versus water. It's instead of when you're up against another fast team. Yeah, uh, I mean they they have the same flaws that you know the the earlier teams we played did. So um, it, it's all whether the abs can exploit them or not, given the, the sort of skill level differentiation. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's good to have these two, two games sort of in the, in the first 10, um, just because we're, we're kind of working through a whole bunch of different styles uh, in the first 10 games. And I think that's really what the coaching staff and then maybe even the organization needs to sort of, you know, evaluate what they've done over the summer and in training camp. I think they'll win one of them, but I'm not confident enough to say which. I'm just going to say two points. Yeah, I mean, I I think they. I mean, if they won both, it wouldn't surprise me. If they won neither, it wouldn't surprise me. But you know, they they should get two points out. I would agree with that as well. I've been right. picking 500 the whole whole season, so just stick <laughs> with it. <laughs> Why mess with it? It's working for you so yeah. far. And we, we get to see the Rampage's leading scorer, Samuel Blay. Actually, he probably isn't anymore. I think Agazino took that over. Uh, but um, yes. Sam Sammy Blay was was a, a great player for the Rampage for two games and got called up to the Blues. And we are now getting Tage Thompson. Tage? Tage, yes. Ta- oh, Tage. Not that that's yeah. any less weird, but I thought you said Tage. Yeah, no, it's just <laughs> Tage. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure, but he sounds like he's from the WHL. Yeah. <laughs> we can rag on him because he's not an abs prospect. He's, no. He's just a blues prospect. So... But, let's uh, let's, yeah. let's go ahead and wind things down before my connection gets worse or the dogs get any louder. Um, no matter what happens with the Avalanche next week or with Chage um, with San Antonio, you know you can find out here. Um, you can always check out the show at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us in your favorite RSS catcher. And as always, you can find the show and leave us comments on the show and uh, yell at us or give us praises, but probably yell at us because that's who actually leaves comments. Um, on burgundyrainbow.com um, join the discord come have a chat with us all day long about hockey and uh, not hockey both are totally welcome and uh, make sure to subscribe and rate and review and all that good stuff and we will count on seeing you around the same time next week Joe Psychic scores, Geo Psychic scores. Surely that's got to be it. <laughs> <laughs> what I need to do is just buy a chair, but that's not happening. Why don't you make one? Do I look like I a carpenter? I can tell you how. It's real easy. <clears throat> you have a chainsaw? Make great chainsaw chairs in like five minutes. Sure don't. Sure don't. 
I've well, I I guess I technically have a chainsaw. It's like you know um, those like hedge tra- chainsaws. Yeah. Those. <laughs> Good for kindling. Yeah, if you're trying to cut a, a chair out of some more that's more than what is a five eighths of an inch thick, you're out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine makes these really cool chairs out of logs and with his chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah, real burly mountain man stuff. Yeah, that's that's definitely my aesthetic. That's funny. 